Thanks for listening to Faith in the Fast Life. I'm Nick Orta. I'm your host. On this show, we look to break down the stereotypes of what the Christian looks like to the world by receiving testimony of action sports athletes and other athletes and just individuals across the world. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and fastlifeministries.com to give. Hope you enjoy this episode. All right, good morning, everybody. We're welcome to Faith and the Fast Life. Today we have Phil Chapin with us. He's a, a firefighter, a man of God, a testimony haver. Uh, we'll say he's been around the block maybe. A couple times. A couple times. Yeah. And uh, we're just so excited to happen to you guys. I want to, right off the bat this morning, something's been on my heart, guys, is uh, um, I actually heard uh, somebody else say this once on the podcast, but... If you guys are liking this podcast and you're listening to this, no matter which episode it is, we, we encourage you to share it, like it, and follow it. That's huge for us in this podcast world just to get more people listening. This is all about hearing the story that God has given so many different people and so many different w- walks of life. So, Phil, firefighter, here we are. Yeah. You uh, grew up in California. Yep, Southern right? California. Southern Col- California ends up in Southern Colorado, uh, has a, you know, Obviously, we have a good past together. We've we've uh, actually, as I was on my way out the door, you were on your way in the door of the fire department. Yes, um, but you got a heck of a testimony, man. Tell us about it. Tell us about Phil. Yeah, well, uh, I've been in the fire service. This is my twenty second year doing it, and uh, but it all started, I think, um, when I was uh, probably about uh, maybe nine, ten years old. Uh, my mom was uh, very much involved in drugs and was getting arrested quite a bit. And it maybe even actually started even younger, between maybe around four and five. But uh, as my mom would get arrested back in the 70s, uh, they would take you to a safe location and wait for your pickup for your foster home. And, you know, I've pretty much done away with orphanages now. And so the new uh, orphanage system is uh, foster care. And so... I would end up going to either a police precinct station or I'd go to a fire station and wait for my pickup uh, with uh, social services and so um, with CSD. And then uh, going into the police station was really, the best way to describe it was sterile. It was an office. They always had a box with toys that were really for like little kids. And they'd put you in the room and say, hey, hang out. And then they'd leave and they'd go work on their computers or I guess there weren't computers back then. They they'd write Man, their paperwork. Southern <laughs> California was way ahead of the game in the seventies. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, computers. <laughs> it was the size of this room. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so they'd throw me in a room and just leave me there to, you know, play out of a box of old toys or whatever. But then there were the times I'd go to the police or the firehouse, and that was amazing because it was a home. It was guys in recliners, which hasn't changed. <laughs> It was, you know, the kitchen training, right? Absolutely. It was the kitchen. It was sitting in the fire truck, jumping up in the seats. It was jumping on the tailboard. It was, you know, wearing the helmet, putting the jacket on all those little things to a little kid who had nothing. I'm like, I didn't know from one night to the next where I would be sleeping. And that was the life that I lived. Um, you know, my mom was, uh, so real interesting here. I, I come from uh, my mother and father were both adopted. So my mother um, was adopted right at birth. So her mom was 16, 17 years old when she got pregnant. And uh, the family, 
uh, waited and they found another family that was willing to take. So the day my mother was born, she was taken out of the hands of her birth mother and put into the hands of another family. And then she grew up. But when she was 13, she found out she was adopted. And then that's when she basically started crashing and burning. Uh, my dad, on the other hand, was in an orphanage. Um, he was six months old when he was adopted. So they eventually found each other. My dad was 18. My mom was uh, 16. They got, she got pregnant. Um, and so, yeah, I'm the result of a uh, one-night stand. And, uh, you know, they're, they didn't make, they didn't last. I mean, the two of them, they, they gave it their best try. But, you know, when you're, you're two kids trying to raise a kid and it just doesn't work. I, one story I heard from my dad was he's like, hey, I tried to make it work. But when I came home from work and your mom was in bed with my two best friends, it made it kind of difficult for me to stick around. So that was kind of the thing. But my mom was addicted to heroin and that's why she slept around a lot. And then it turned into her, her um, the way that she could support her habit. So as a young child growing up, I watched my mom obviously engaging in all kinds of sexual activities. And as a kid, you don't really know what's going on. But then you get older, you put the pieces together and you figure it out. But by the, my, by the time my mom was 20, she had two kids. So me and my little sister. So, so did you? So this is your birth, your mother. birth mother and your birth father. Mm -hmm. And so you actually did live with them for you know, up until how old? Uh <laughs> maybe two months you know it wasn't long okay. yeah they didn't they they were just you know two kids trying to okay so pretty much raised by your your mother was on <clears throat> on her own at that point yeah i mean so the funny thing is i have like my my entire life photo album is like maybe 30 pictures <laughs> you know unfortunately and uh so i have pictures of my birth ish like right around you know, a week or two old. And then I see my parents, pictures of my parents when I'm probably maybe um, maybe a month or two, and then it's over. And then it's, so they didn't stay together long. Okay, so continue. Sorry, I get, no, I get no, up no. on track once in a while. So I just but that's to, what makes this. I have to put the timeline together a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's what makes it organic. So my parents didn't last, and then, of course, they were both were addicts. They both were in and out of jail. Uh, my dad did a lot of, uh, did harder time than my mom. Um, and so he was pretty much out of my life completely, uh, from that point on. I think I, the only time I saw him is when I was visiting his parents, which would have been my grandparents on, from his, on his side. And, um, maybe he was there, maybe he wasn't, but nor, I did have the relationship with my grandparents, which was huge. Like I, my, um, my nana, my poppy, they were everything to me. So, um, but my mom was so addicted to drugs that she basically chose them over me and my little sister. And so as we grew up, when my, when my sister was born, I was four years old. And then when she was two, I was six. So that's about the time I really have a lot of memories. Memories of me protecting her. Um, there were times my mom was in a old abandoned warehouse and they were freebasing. And uh, it was me and my sister in an old abandoned office uh, with those big heavy steel uh, desks and just broken glass and everything. And it was my sister, myself, and um, our German Shepherd dog. And we'd stay in there and we'd crawl up close to the dog, create body heat, and, you know, just 
let them do their thing. It was just, we were tag alongs, you know, and that's how it always was. So, so this, this, um, at that point in time, you guys have a house or a place you're living. This is just where you end up. Your mom ends up. My mom was in apartments, I guess, you know, um, I don't know if it was considered necessarily, uh, government housing or projects. It was later on, but at this point in time, I'm not sure. Uh, she went where the drugs took her. Yeah. And you guys just tagged along. Yeah, we tagged along. Yeah. Very much vagabond type life. Uh, there were times I would I was in bed and I'd wake up in the middle of the night to her grabbing me and throwing me in a car and we'd wake up in Northern California, you know. You have to realize too, this is back in the seventies, so um there was a lot of drugs going on. Uh the heroin was was flowing freely, the marijuana. Uh, this is the hippie movement, lots of that. You had the Hells Angels with the drugs and guns. And my mom was very, um, she uh, dated biker-type guys, you know. And I remember one night uh, getting picked up, thrown in a car. We went to the Travel Lodge because the teddy bear, isn't that the one, Travel Lodge? That has the, so. night, the bear with the nightcap as the logo. We went to that kind of a hotel. It's funny that that's what I remember. Right, that image that stays yeah. with you all that time. Yeah, then this guy knocks on the door. My my mom opens the door, and the guy rolls his motorcycle, his Harley, in, into the motel room, you know. Um, but that was the kind of life we lived, and that was also that around the same time there was that big standoff between the L.A. County Sheriff's Department and uh, the Hells Angels up on the grapevine. So I don't know if my family was a part of that, or my mom and her associates, um, but it was big because they, obviously they were doing drugs, and that's how my mom was pretty much staying in the game. Now, how old are you at this point? About six, yeah. So you remember, isn't it? I mean, I just find it fascinating how, like, we we remember those bad moments. Yeah. Right? And it wasn't necessarily a bad moment. No. But, I mean, it stood out. I mean, here well, comes the panic. biker and the, the yeah. motorcycle rolling in and the, you yeah. Know, don't necessarily remember playing on the swing set, or maybe that never happened. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no, no swing no, sets in your childhood? No swing sets in my backyard, buddy. Okay. Yeah, none. Um, How about the ones at the park? Yeah, you know, that's that's probably the only place I was able to get it. But, you know, Christmas, is this is kind of one of the funny things I always, I kind of go overboard with Christmas with my family because I never had Christmas. Christmas for me was at the police station. Uh, we got to pick out one present under the tree. Um and may I just add to all your viewers and followers that uh, and listeners that Toys for Tots is a great thing because yeah. up until probably my adulthood, I didn't get any presents growing up. Christmas was just another day, you know. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, you know, not too many playgrounds in my background or my backyard. But, you know, so the life was really, um, I became very streetwise. It was not uncommon for me to be playing in the street. 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, you know. Uh, I remember I I just came about it. I, I developed my first con, and uh, and people like, what? I was probably about seven, maybe maybe eight, but I think it was more around seven. I went door to door. I stole a, well, I stole a wagon from somebody's yard, and then I went door to door collecting books, wanting asking people if they'd like to donate books. We're sending them over to Africa. 
And uh, so I went door to door. I'm seven years old, and I, wear, I totally remember this. You're a missionary, and you didn't even yeah, know yeah, it at yeah, the time. exactly. Just a whole different mission. Nah, I was just a kid possessed to get baseball cards. But um, so I started going collect, you know, collecting all these books. People were donating, and then I went to a farther area that had nicer houses. I just looked, you know, as far as what the houses look like, and then I asked people if they'd like to buy books because we're, ra- we're raising money for kids in Africa. And uh, so I started selling the books that I got people to donate and all on my own, man. That was like the craziest thing is I look back and I'm like, where did I learn this? You know? Um, And then I just remember going down and having a wad of gum in my mouth and all the baseball cards in the world. And it was just like, this is like the best thing in the world. I've got a skill here, but, um, but that's the way it was. It was like, I was probably going door to door eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. You know, I didn't even, you know, there was no supervision and um, kind of an interesting point because of that lifestyle. My mom was never, it's not like I showed up at five o'clock every night and mom had dinner sitting on the table for us. Right. Um, For me, I used to take two to three pennies and I would stack them in the corner of our window. uh, One of the windows in the apartment. And that way they were the old style windows where it was the thumb and then the crank where the thumb would, or the, so it's a double hung, slid yeah. up and down, but you'd, you'd yeah. twist it, twist it, it to, to and it would it. hook it. Yeah, and so those wind, so I'd take those pennies and I'd put them in a corner, and it would keep it high enough that my mom couldn't lock the, couldn't lock the window. And so, whenever I came home and the front door was locked, I knew I could always get back in through a back window. You know, so here I am, six, seven years old, and I'm already figuring out how I'm going to get back in the apartment. You know, just right. survival. Um, so this one, I mean, just, you know, partly for me, partly for the listeners, I mean, really your mom's paying almost no attention to you at that point. None. I mean, she's locking the, she's locking the front door, not even realizing if her son is there. And at this point, your sister, how, how old, much younger is your sister than you? Four. Four years younger. So I'm six, six and seven. She's two and three. So she's in the house. Sometimes she would, uh, no, I would say that during the times when it was, my mom would take her with her and then leave me because I was either at school and I'd come home from school to the house being, or the apartment being locked. Okay. So, and then I would just play. And to get back to your playground story, that's what I would do. Um, Do you remember those big concrete culverts that they'd put in playgrounds back in the day? Yeah. Just a big, just a section of uh, concrete tubing. Yep. And I just remember taking my Hot Wheel, and, you know, it was just fun as a kid to take it up high and zoo and just watch it go back and forth. Well, obviously, the highlight of my day was being at school because I had friends. So I would, what I would do is I would go and I'd stay the night in the culvert or the little, at the playground, and then I would go to school the next day and, you know, play with my friends. And then after school, go play wherever, but then I'd go back to the school playground, and that's where I would stay. Each day going back trying to see if my mom was home. It was interesting. I took my, so I have two daughters. Uh, my wife and I have been married 28 years. And uh, I have a daughter that's 24 and a daughter that's 19. And I took them to the very elementary school. And uh, uh, that tube was still, that concrete tube was still there. I figured that would be an ancient piece of right. like playground equipment, but it was still there. And it was amazing all the memories that came back, you know. Um, but it's also really good for them to see where their dad came from. But I would stay there and then uh, 
come back. And, you know, the thing is, is I didn't, here's what you have to remember, Nick. I didn't know anything different. Right. So there's, I can't compare myself to the kids that went home every night to a mom and a dad or whatever. My life was so, um, it, there was just so much movement and no structure to it whatsoever. Uh, some days I had a mom with me and then other days I didn't because she was uh, either arrested or, you know, who knows what. So to uh, to kind of maybe bring it forward a little bit more, my mom started giving me marijuana when I was six years old because, and she started by, it all started out at a party. Everybody's listening to a little Paul McCartney and Wings sitting in the circle and they're passing the doobie around and, Someone got the crazy idea. My mom, for whatever reason, had a couple of macaws. You know, those are like not cheap birds to have. You know what I mean? And I don't know where she got them, but we and we were. My mom was, mother was a was an animal lover. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if we had like six dogs and twelve cats, and I had a pet raccoon, um, and then we had the macaws. You know what I mean? And so uh, somebody started blowing smoke into the bird's face. And then eventually this three-foot bird just falls over in the cage and starts flopping around. And um, I know it sounds cruel, but then someone maybe said, because I think I was a hyper kid, and then someone suggested we should do that to to Phil. And so they started blowing weed in my face. And, and it's just a progression, and then it just passed me. I mean, I'd just get high, and next thing I know, I was sitting in a circle, you know, months later, and I'm passing the joint around, and, my mom gave it to me, and it was uh, interesting because that was the beginning of ultimately would be, probably become the greatest uh, uh, pain of my life because later on down the road when I was 13, um, no, I was 10, I finally had a visit with my dad, and while I was down there with him, my, mo- my mom had twins, and so they didn't know what to do with me. And that was the time when I was sleeping in the school. And um, a neighbor friend put a note on the door and said, Phil is staying at our house. And then the boyfriend responded and said, his mom's in the hospital having twins. I'll pick him up on Saturday or whatever. So I ended up going back to the, the apartment. And then my mom's boyfriend picks me up, takes me to the airport. No, takes me to the hospital first. I see my mom and my, my twin sisters, and then I'm taken to an airport, and I'm being told I'm flying down to see my dad, who I don't even know. And uh, So let me grab a little bit more of a timeline here because I, I, I got lost a little bit okay. again. So, so you've been sleeping at the school. The apartment's locked. This is the same time you have the window. You're putting mm-hmm. the pennies in the window. Yeah. Um, your little sister's alive, mm-hmm. right? And now your mom is pregnant with twins. Yeah. So I jumped from six, seven years old to nine, ten. I was just trying to okay. share with you the fact that the pain that started in my life from smoking weed at six. This is where. This is where. So this is what caused yeah, all that. Perfect. So, so cap- caption that timeline. So now mom's in the hospital having twins. Yeah. You get to stop by there and see there, but they're like, by the way, you're going on an airplane to go yeah. see your dad who you don't know. Exactly. And okay. while I'm there to see my dad, which I'm only supposed to be there a week. My dad starts rolling a joint, and then I said, hey, can I have some? And he looked at me really bizarre, and 
And uh, he's like, what do you mean? I said, well, mom gives it to me all the time. Which to another addict is like, you know, what the heck? And so he ended up taking my mom to court and uh, got full custody of me. So um, where's your sister at this point? At this point, um, she's with my mom. Well, we were all taken away from my mom for a period because she was proven to be unfit and we became state uh, wards of the state. And this is all kind of around that time. And initially during the court hearing, my dad was in was in uh, prison, so I wasn't able to go to him. So that's when I was in foster care still. And so then he got me after this argument, basically. And that's when it really got tight and, and really hard because for the first my mom was aloof. Man, she didn't care. She didn't. She wasn't abusive, but she also wasn't present. And I go live with a dad who's uh, violent and very abusive. And I went from smoking weed with my mom and laughing and to now living in fear of being beat every day. Um, growing up with my mom, and I'm just going to backtrack just a continue that timeline from seven to 10, my sisters and uh, my sister and I, we, there was never usually stuff to eat around the house. And if there was, we were very fortunate and lucky. But um, every time we would grab a spoon to use to eat something, we'd have to turn the spoon over, make sure it wasn't black, you know, from the flame yeah. from, from liquefying the heroin. And uh, uh, there were times we ate dog food and cat food because, you know, there was pet food in the house. But I really didn't know, to be honest with you. I didn't know it was dog food, cat food. I just saw the picture, and it looked like stew, beef stew. <laughs> you know, they make those pictures look so good. But, <laughs> you know, and so we ate that. But we survived, and there was a lot of in and out and being taken away. And, uh, you know, they split my sister and I up in most of the foster homes that we went to. And then, like I said, the uh, courts had proven my mother to be unfit and neglectful. And that was a process of them taking us away from her. But then right there at the very end, she was losing both of us is when she had the twins. And then that's when I was taken away from her by my dad. Uh, his family took, uh, took my mother to court. And I remember sitting on the, the very court that they had the OJ trial. Um, I remember sitting in the, I guess, the witness stand. And the judge asked me, you know, uh, uh, it was really weird because I remember my mom, the lawyer that was there for my mom, I remember this guy. And and uh, he asked, the judge asked the lawyer, he's like, where's the boy's mother? And um, the lawyer responded by saying the boy's mother had more important business to take care of today. And I remember sitting in that uh, witness stand looking across at my dad on the other side and I've already seen the anger in him just in the week or two that I was there. And then the judge asking me who I wanted to live with and why the mother wasn't there was just life-changing. And those words just haunted me. They just, the boy's mother doesn't want him, basically, is the way I, you, I yeah, interpreted what, it. What they said and what you yeah, perceived. In, yeah. Which, I mean, how could you not? Yeah. I mean, that's the, I mean. The rest of the story was one of my twin sisters had a heart defect and was dying. She lived to be two years old, but struggled. And so my mom was taking care of my sister. But to me, 
as a little boy, I didn't understand any of those. Yeah. They didn't go into the details. They didn't say that. No. They didn't say that in the courtroom. They so then the judge awarded my father full custody, and then for the next three years, he he beat the ever-living uh, crap out of me. Broke my nose three times, uh, knocked me unconscious uh, countless times. So, yeah. So you're, you're about 10 years old at this point? Yeah, I was 10, 11, and 12. And then, With him? Yeah. And so was he still actively addicted at that point? He was going to the methadone clinic every morning, or not every morning, but like I guess once a week or twice a week or whatever. Because I remember we'd go by the clinic on the way to school. So taking me to school. So, yeah, I mean, he was smoking weed. He had a ball of hash up in the... I mean, I was the kid that I was already... I've been doing this by this time. By 10 years old, I'm a pro at this. Right. I was the kid that was going around the, all the parties collecting roaches, and then I'd open up all the roaches, put it all on a plate, and then I'd make my own big fatty out of all that, you know? And people are like, how did you know to do that? I, I don't know. I just figured it yeah, out. That's the environment you grew up in. Yeah. I mean, that's the, we, you know, you talk and you think about the cultures that everybody grew up in. That yeah. was your culture. Like, that yeah. was what you knew. So I'm sure a lot of listeners out there are going, oh, my gosh, like, how could he possibly do this? Yeah. I didn't know any better. Like did this, a drug deal. This was with, your life. Yeah. I did a drug deal in fourth grade to a kid in my school. Uh, I feel bad because I didn't like the kid. And so I set him up. So I took some grass clippings and put them on the cookie sheet, baked them down so they were crispy. Then I took some branches and some seeds and a little bit of my mom's weed. And I put it all in a baggie and then sold it to the kid for five bucks and then ratted him out, told the teacher, hey, so-and-so's got marijuana <laughs> got him kicked out of school so um yeah but i mean i mean fourth grade i'm already knowing how to cook bake it down and you know do all the all the preparation and and stuff to it so yeah my dad had the big thing a rock a big rock of hash and i would cut it and always give it the same cut marks but it just got smaller and smaller you know so he wouldn't know that i was doing it so uh, I was stealing it, but uh, my father and I, I ran away several times only to get picked up by police and uh, sent to juvie, and then I'd get them back, and literally one of the times I I was in the parking lot of the uh, of the juvenile hall, and as we are walking out, you see, well, they didn't see it, but he was kicking me in my butt and then slapped me upside the head as we got to the car. So if they had cameras back in those days, which I don't know if they did, I mean... There's the whole reason why this kid's running away, and you just sent him back to that home, yeah. you know. So flawed system for sure, absolutely. But at the same time, here you are. Yeah. So you know, after going in and out of foster care, and then um, being around my mom's stuff and my dad's physical abuse and violence, uh, I was kicked out and. Uh, Basically lived on my own. I didn't know where to go, so I ran to my grandmother's house. And uh, uh, this is where probably the the saddest story of my life, and I I hate to say it, but yet it's it was a turning point for me. 